0: Well, welcome. Whether you're here in this room or online, I'd like to welcome you today. My name is Darrell and I have the great honour of serving at RBC as our seniors and multicultural pastor. It was in August this year as COVID restrictions began to lift here in South Australia that Baptist pastors and their spouses gathered at McLaren Vale for our annual two-day pastors conference. Each of us had been, and we're continuing at that stage, to move through a season like no other. COVID had weaved its web of isolation, changed relationships, broken dreams, dashed hopes, anxiety, and grief within many of our neighbourhoods. Many of our communities. As we fast tracked online platforms, upskilled ourselves with apps like Zoom, there was also some significant questions that were being asked. What is church? How do we maintain meaningful community in the absence of public worship? And in all that was occurring? where was God at work? Because our longing and our desire as always is to be able to join with God in what he was doing. And we're asking that question, where is God at work? The pastors gathering was a God ordained opportunity to withdraw, to pray, to share stories, to worship, to be refreshed in order to move back into ministry into this new COVID normal. One of the ways that we experienced that refreshment was through restoring the darkness. A series of four devotions from the book of Jeremiah that were led by Melinda Cousins and Elia Keane. And in a spirit of generosity, they made these devotions available to our churches over these past four weeks, we've been following that series here at Ross Trevor and also over at Broadview. So let me do a brief recap. It is the year 587 BC. The city of Jerusalem had been destroyed. The people of God have been defeated and exiled to Babylon. Their hopes and their dreams had been shattered. Their joy was gone. They'd lost everything. And in Psalm 137, we get a vivid picture of the despondency that they were feeling. The people of God sitting by the rivers of Babylon. And as they thought about the way things used to be, as they reflected back on their homeland, they began to weep. They'd lost their homes, they'd lost their place of worship, they'd lost their freedom. They'd been known for their songs of worship and celebration, but now their harps hung lifeless on the limbs of willow trees. Instead of empathy, the Babylonians only mocked them Their captors wanted the Israelites to sing one of the grand old songs of Zion, but they couldn't do it. There was no joy, no thanksgiving, no celebration in their hearts, only pain and grief. I'm betraying my age a little here, but Boney M captures the pathos in their 1978 song based on this Psalm, by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down, yeah, we wept when we remembered Zion. There the wicked carried us away into captivity, required from us a song. Now how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How shall we continue to celebrate and live out our faith in this foreign new post-COVID normal? That's the question that was being asked. And it's into this situation, a situation that seemed almost like exile, a situation that was an exile, that the prophet Jeremiah speaks restoring the situation, to point out that God is at work even in the middle of darkness, even in the midst of chaos, even in this foreign land, this foreign normal. Four weeks ago, Dan introduced us to lament, naming the darkness in our situations. On the whole, Evangelical Western Christianity does not sit comfortably with lament, which is an invitation to be completely honest with God, completely honest with one another. God sits with us, He hears us even in the darkness. As the people of God named their darkness, named their suffering and their grief, they are led to confession. Confessing their own sin, their human frailty, their brokenness. Dan spoke about confession, I think some three weeks ago now. But there is a second dimension to confession. For true confession takes us beyond our situation To recognise that God is God. To remember and to confess his name and his power and his promises to us. And then last week, Pastor Andrew introduced us to the theme of Shalom. Exiled, living as aliens, the people of Jeremiah's day were wondering how they were meant to be God's people. In that foreign situation and into the confusion, the anxiety, the chaos, the displacement, the new norm, comes the voice of God speaking through Jeremiah. Make a home, build a livelihood, become family and create shalom. The Hebrew word, shalom, takes us way beyond our understanding of peace and the way that peace is being spoken about in our media at the moment. It takes us beyond that for embraces the themes of well-being, of completeness, of flourishing that comes out of relationship with God, with other people, with ourselves and even with creation. But then Jeremiah goes on to lift the eyes of the exiles and our eyes, the eyes of the readers, even further, as a new theme is introduced. And we get a hint of that in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Andrew pointed out to us that to reduce these words to an individual perspective, to reduce them to a bumper sticker on the back of our chariots or to be etched into our clay goblets is to miss the true significance of these words. True significance of these words for humanity, indeed for all of creation. Because the word is you and it speaks of God's people. It speaks of humanity. It speaks of all of creation. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to bring shalom. Plans to bring a new life, new hope. And it is my work says the lord i will make this happen i will restore all things in the midst of your brokenness in the midst of your failures i will take the initiative says the lord just listen listen to these words from jeremiah chapter 31 and if you have your devices with you either here in this room Or at home, you may like to follow along with me. Jeremiah chapter 31 and the words are also up on the screen. Verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It would not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Even in the midst of darkness comes hope. Even though everything speaks of hopelessness, out of death rises new life. From catastrophe God initiates as God speaks of a new covenant. Jeremiah is the only Old Testament prophet to use this specific term, new covenant. It's a term that's also picked up in the Gospels and also the letters of the New Testament. But we tend to think often of covenant as a kind of contract, but its meaning in the scriptures runs much, much deeper because it is God who is the covenant starter, God who is the covenant maker, and God who is the covenant keeper. The image is one of a husband that is God who had bound himself to his wife that is the people but they had committed spiritual adultery, entering into relationships with all sorts of idols, other religions, superstitions. They had bowed to the gods of Baal, Asterith and Moloch. We could speak today of the idols, of popularity, of self-sufficiency, of materialism, of ego, But more than that, injustice and inequality was rampant. As one person writes, the blind and the broken, the deaf and the dejected, the excluded had been forgotten, overlooked and rejected. But even though God's people had walked away from God... They'd walked away from the covenant relationship they were a part of. God had not walked away from them. God does not walk away from his commitment to his people. God does not walk away from his commitment to you and to me. He would not leave his people in a dark place, Instead, it speaks of a way to reconciliation through the creation of a whole new relationship, a brand new covenant. What was the nature of that new covenant? Let's draw four things from the passage that I read from Jeremiah chapter 31. First of all, the Lord says, I will put my law, my Torah, in their minds and write it on their hearts. The term Torah is not just a legal term. Torah is God's revelation of how we're able to relate to him or another way of thinking about it, Torah is God's spoken, revealed will and purpose. You may have heard of the term Torah, being used in the context to describe the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through to Deuteronomy. But these five books are not just all law. They're not just all commandments. For much of these five books is simply the story, God's story of his dealings with his people, the story of Israel, The story of God's relationship with His people. The promise of having God's Torah in their minds and in their hearts isn't just about memorising some moral code, obeying some commands, as in other societies in the day. For it goes way beyond to knowing God's Word, knowing God's will, truly knowing it because it is there, placed in our minds, in our hearts. Jesus tells us in John's Gospel that the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, who lives within us, it is the Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth not on tablets of stone, but there within our hearts through the ministry of God's Spirit. Second, God promises, I will be their God and they will be my people. The new covenant, like the old covenant, was communal in nature. We together, again, whether in this room or online. We together are God's people. Yes, there is a sense in which each of us has to make that personal decision of accepting Jesus as Saviour and as King. But we also have to realise that we do not just do this as individuals, but we're actually part of something far bigger than ourselves. We follow King Jesus together and we respond to what the Crucified One has done for us together in a very true sense. We take up our crosses and we walk together as God's covenant people. When any one of us, and maybe you're thinking about this even this morning, When any one of us decides to follow Jesus, we become something of a bigger whole. Each one of us, every single one of us has a purpose, but that purpose can only be lived out in relationship to one another and in relationship to the body of Christ. Third, Jeremiah tells us they will all know me, they will all know me. Verse 34. I wonder whether you've ever stopped to really think about that, to know God, to know the God of this universe. What does that mean? What does that mean to know God? In Jeremiah's day, this whole concept of knowing God was a totally new thought. For example, for Abraham to know God or Moses to converse with God, it was revolutionary. In the pagan world of the Babylonians, human beings didn't know gods. Human beings placated and appeased the gods. They didn't become friends with gods. You don't set out to know them Or get to know them. Instead you know that they are there and therefore you do everything you can so as not to anger them. Pagan gods are fickle. They don't particularly like human beings. Instead they put up with humanity. They aren't friends. You don't send them friend requests or follow each other on Twitter or Instagram. And yet Jeremiah speaks of this new covenant, of a God that we can know personally, that God's people can know collectively. The new covenant which Jeremiah was speaking of is not one of reverent distance, but of intimate participatory closeness. God is not watching us from a distance, as the Bette Midler song says. Our Father who is in heaven, which is the opening line of the Lord's Prayer, is only part of the truth. We encounter God, we experience his presence through Jesus Christ, by His Spirit, who lives within us, the Holy Spirit. It's not a factual head knowledge or philosophical concept or consent that we give as a person. It's to know Him intimately. Is that your experience? Is that your experience? For we can confess to be new covenant Christians, followers of Jesus, and yet we're still living in the old covenant. God continues on, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And this is the part we so often focus on As followers of Jesus but if you notice from this passage the content of the new covenant is not actually concerned with the forgiveness of sin forgiveness is not part of the nature of the new covenant this new relationship this new covenant only becomes possible because there is forgiveness of sin God removes our sin, as far as the east is from the west, that we can then enter into covenant relationship with him. It is because of the cross, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, because of his ascension, because of the giving of the Spirit, that we can relate to God. That is what forms the basis of the new covenant. So let's try and put all of this together. Shalom, which Andrew spoke about last week here at our Ross Trevor campus, and hope flows from the suffering of Christ who joins us in our humanity, in our suffering. So we go back to Jeremiah chapter 31. And let me read to you verses 27 and 28 to illustrate what I'm saying. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the kingdoms of Israel and Judah with the offspring of people and of animals just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down and to overthrow and destroy and bring disaster. So I'll watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. To build and to plant, to rebuild. To rebuild, you must demolish and clear away the rubble. To plant, you have to uproot the existing weeds and then prepare the soil. To make way for the new life, you must first experience death. A Christian experiences death through Jesus Christ. Conversion, being born again, is identifying with Jesus in his death. And this is graphically portrayed in baptism, Going down under the water, joining with Jesus in his death, so that we may join with him in his resurrection, a new resurrected life. It's choosing, it's deciding, and saying, rather than going my way, I am choosing to go God's way. The way of the cross, the way of death and burial. And resurrection and receiving of the Spirit. As Israel and Judah experienced the pain of exile, we too are not exempt from suffering. Whether it's due to COVID or any other reason, Jesus never promises that we will be excluded from sorrow or pain. But in the midst of lament, as we name the pain that we experience, in the midst of confession, as we confess who God is and declare who God is in our lives, he promises shalom. He promises peace. He promises hope. He promises a new covenant. And in the cross, that new covenant is birthed and God's story which we are part of moves towards a day when all of creation will be wound up and a new heavens and a new earth will appear and all of us all of us as we are followers of Jesus will see and gaze upon the one who sits on the throne. That is the image of hope. That is the story of realized hope that we see and we experience in these words of Jeremiah as part of the introduction of this new covenant. I started with the pastor's conference. Let me take you back there As one of the people who wrote this series, Melinda, as she says, and let me read it to you, this hope, it sustains us. This hope will not disappoint us because it rests not in our words or even in our imagination, but in the living word. The image of the invisible made visible the creator and sustainer of all things, the renewer and reformer, the saviour and redeemer, the one through whom and in whom and by whom all things are and were and always have been and all things will be and will be and will be. The prophet has a final word for us. For us the people of the Lord and that word to be heard is simply this hope hope let's pray father in the darkness and the chaos of this world in the brokenness of this world we thank you for your message of hope of light we thank you that we as your people that you open the way that we can know you and that we can participate in your love in your unconditional love for us we thank you that there is a pathway through to glory and to hope lord a pathway not just for us as individuals not just for us as your church but a pathway for this world lord help us with those words of hope ringing in our ears And Lord, as we continue to open ourselves to your Holy Spirit, to know your peace, as we walk into the future with you, Lord, thank you, in Jesus' name, Lord, thank you that Jesus is our cornerstone, the cornerstone of our faith and our life, Amen.